Hi, I'm Jane Stahl, retired high school English teacher and director of community relations at Studio B Fine Art Gallery in Boyertown, Pennsylvania. And this is the Be Inspired podcast. My guest and I hope that in the few minutes you spend with us, you'll be surprised and delighted to meet someone new, become aware of projects going on in your neighborhood, and maybe entertain a new way to look at the world. Look, we all need to keep our spirits up in these challenging times, and I can't think of a better way to lift up our spirits than to meet interesting, passionate folks and learn about what they're doing to make life better for all of us. And so, join me now for the Be Inspired podcast. Hello. Oh, can you hear me okay? Yep, yep, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hello, yes. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. How does this Very sound? Very good. Very good. Welcome to the Be Inspired podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Enjoy it. I'm excited. Yes, this should be just a fun um, episode. And let me just allow my audience to know with whom I'm speaking. Uh, podcast audience, I'm talking today with Ross Yerger. And you go by Yergs. Is that right? That's correct. Since uh, I think it was, I always have to think about it. Um, ninth grade football. Uh-huh. Uh, Coach Breezy Rupert oh, uh, was the assistant on the ninth grade team and called me Yerg. Y-E-R-G. Okay. And that's the afternoon, the, the, uh, the after school afternoon uh, team. Uh-huh. In the evening, he coached uh, the midget team, on which was my brother. Okay. And he called him Yerg. <laughs> and, he, and my dad was, yeah. I think in that year, uh, was, was um, I think previously may have been one of Breezy's assistants before my dad took over the mites. Yep. And yep. he called him Yerg. <laughs> So it was often said that the only thing Coach Breezy did right with the English language was that he added an S. Oh, see. And he called us all Yergs. <laughs> Fast forward a, a few years, um, yeah. for aesthetic reasons, I created a hotel brand called Shea Yergs. Shea, C-H-E-Z, is the French word for the home of. Of course. And Yergs is me. So. Yeah. If you stay at this hotel, it's like you're staying in my house. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, just yeah. for aesthetic reasons, Yergs looked better with a Z instead Z. of an S. So there you go. And that's and how today, I spell it today. And today that moniker introduces a whole podcast, a whole website, a variety of different things. But let's backtrack <laughs> just a little bit. Sure. Um, you are a graduate of Boyertown High School, class of... 90. Class of 1990. For those listeners out there who are connected with the Borrowtown School District, you may remember him. And you may remember, as I do, some of the other members of your family. Your dad coached my son, Jeff, for one season in the Mites football okay. program. 
and uh, Jeff decided he didn't like hitting people <laughs> or tackling them, I should say. And so he didn't last very long, even though your dad tried to convince him by saying he would be popular with the girls if he stayed in with football, <laughs> <laughs> which I always thought was a very classic, classy line in order to motivate. But Jeff at that point wasn't interested in that. And so he moved on to other things, playing piano, I believe, and guitar, something like that. Anyway, welcome to the Be Inspired podcast. You Thank have you. quite a resume, and I'm going to just summarize it a little bit and then get back to it with some questions, but summarize it a little bit for my audience. You have, you have an amazing uh, res resume in you were a referee correct for, for hockey is that right ice hockey correct yes ice hockey skating in the same arena as the 1980 winter olympics yes you refereed for penn state blue and white game in baseball you were the first american game or the first american legion game in boyertown's bear stadium now were you refereeing then or playing but no, um, that my first as as an umpire. As an umpire, there you go. My there first go. game was the Boyertown Legion team. There you go. But as an umpire, Correct. and in addition, umpiring the men's amateur World Series, you worked in minor league baseball. Yep. And worked a game with the bird, whoever that is. Yep. From the, <laughs> from the Baltimore Orioles, and another with a famous chicken. Anyway, but in addition to that, did you always want to be in sports initially? Uh, not just in sports, but um, I wanted to be a referee in the NHL since I, as young as I could possibly remember. Uh, we were in, um, before my mom and dad built their first house in Corporate Township, we were in an apartment above my grandfather's barber shop in downtown Boyertown. I remember that. Yep. And uh, that meant that we had cable television because cable television had not made it out to the suburbs yet. Wow. Uh, of, of the of the rural areas like Boyertown. Uh huh. Um, and so we're watching a Flyers game on TV. Uh, yeah. a, ho a home game on TV. And dad's explaining to me the, the rules of hockey. You know, I'm a four or five-year-old boy. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm seeing this on television. And as a child cannot fathom the concept of a six-foot-tall person being squeezed into a television. <laughs> so I don't get that this is actually really happening. Yeah. And so I see this guy in black skate by. Uh-huh. And uh, I said, what was that? Who was that? And he says, well, that's the referee. He keeps control of the game, calls penalties, awards, goals, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that fast, I said, that's kind of, that sounds kind of cool. That's what I want to do. Wow. And my dad was, a because the flow, this was in an era where the Flyers had already won one of their first two Stanley Cups. Uh my dad, you know, street hockey became very popular in our area. And okay. so my dad, with a bunch of other people, um, you know, started you know, becoming really popular with street hockey. Which means, of course, as a player, he does not like referees. <laughs> and okay. he looked at me like I had three heads. No kidding. 
And uh, I just remember one day we're now in the, the house in Cobrickdale Township. I tried hockey, playing hockey. Wasn't my thing getting up at three, four in the morning to drive all over the state to go to one hockey game to turn around and come back. Yeah. Uh, and he comes home one day from one of my brother Randy's games and says, I have a phone number for you. And it was the local supervisor of officials who was willing to sign me up for one of the registration seminars where you learn to become a referee. Wow. So he went from seeing you as someone with three heads to someone who supported. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They were always (laughs) mom and dad both were always very supportive because, I mean, I've been a hockey referee since I was 13. Wow. So, you know, figure that out. You know, I've got fans automatically because I can't get to my game without mom and dad. Right. For sure. For sure. And then your baseball career. Uh, I had already started that, actually. So I was a referee at 13 and an umpire at 12. Wow. Um, I finished my last game in the majors of the Boyertown Midget League as a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. And the very next night was working third base in the minors. <laughs> uh, the, the the minor league is in like the nine and ten year olds. I see. <laughs> not not the minor league baseball. That, that that'll come later. Oh, okay. But you left that sports arena and ended up in um, law enforcement. How did that happen? So at that time, um, to get into minor league baseball and ultimately into the major leagues, you had to go to one of then there were three major league owned umpire schools. You know, they were owned by individual umpires for major league baseball. And you went to that for five months, or excuse me, for five weeks, you went to that for five weeks. And then at the end of that, they picked you to move on to another one week version of like spring training. Okay. And that's where you met with other rookie minor league umpires and who you were going to spend the next, you know, at that point, nine months with, because um, there's another month of spring training in baseball. And then there's, you know, the eight or nine month, you know, uh, or you know, six or eight month long season. And, um, I did not make that right away. Uh, But when I did, I got a phone call later saying there was an opening. And that started my two-year career in minor league baseball. But while I was at umpire school, I saw some of the instructors that were minor league umpires Mm -hmm. who were in minor league baseball for 10 years. And they were still maybe halfway up the ladder. Okay. And I'm like, dude, you're not making Major League Baseball. Get out. Go, you know, move on with your life. Yeah. And these were clearly guys who couldn't let it go. Yeah. And I was right. You know, I sit back and I watch the Major League games today and I pull up the roster of Major League guys on my phone and none of those guys are in the Major Leagues. Wow. Meanwhile, the young guys... Yeah. Who I used to hang out with at like Reading Municipal Stadium after my own games, mm-hmm. who advanced quickly, 
are now all retiring for Major League Baseball because they they did make it quickly. And so I made the promise to myself that because by the time I went to major by the time I went to umpire school, hockey was already done. I, I knew that I was not going to make the NHL. Okay. And so I made the commitment to myself in umpire school that if I ever saw me not advancing at the level that would get me to major league baseball efficiently, I would pull the plug and move on. Okay. And after my second year, I saw the politics and just, you know, so much of the negative behind the scenes that I didn't want to be involved in. Gotcha. And so I went over to Mike Benio, another Boyertown graduate. Yeah. At North Coventry Township Police Department. And I asked if we could do, put together some sort of internship program for somebody like me already out of college. I had my degree. Okay. And he couldn't put that together fast enough because we didn't have to go by any university's qualifications. Right. Which allowed me to do a little bit more than what some universities for safety reasons would allow their students to do. Now, gotcha. North, North Coventry already had policies. You know, I, I wasn't going to be involved in any shootings or any of the major crime scenes because I could easily mess that up. But I still got to see, you know, things in law enforcement that other interns might not see. Well, I'm curious to know what triggered you to move from sports to police work. Oh, I had also always wanted to be, be a cop, you know, okay. um, you know when. Uh, <laughs> okay. When we were kids, I was always the cop. Um, In eighth grade, uh, I attended a week, the the summer between eighth and ninth grade, I attended a a week-long summer camp run by the Pennsylvania State Police called Camp Cadet. uh, Now, are these programs still available around today? Do you know? I believe so. One of my best friends, another Boyertown graduate, uh, swimmer Ray Shermerhorn, uh, is a Pennsylvania State Trooper. Okay. I don't know if he's an, uh, uh, active in that program because I knew he was trying to get to protection like me. Uh, he wanted to get to the governor's detail. Oh, okay. But I don't yeah. know where he's stationed right now. Um, yeah. It had been for a while. And when I attended it, I saw you know all the you know whatever police departments were guests. Yeah. But um, the Secret Service was uh, a guest presenter as well. And in the classroom space that we had, they put a podium and put a state trooper at the podium like he was the president. Okay. And then put another state trooper, a local police officer, one of the other instructors in the crowd of students, in, in with us in the crowd. Uh-huh. And when that trooper drew a water pistol, he, the, the, the two uh, guest speakers, the two special agents, reacted as though they were protecting the real president. And I and said, that's what I want to do. This was a, what, what would you say? I was going to say a mock-up. This was oh, yeah, a plan, yeah, yeah, total, something. De- de- this was a demonstration. Um, wow. They had already, we had already done the counterfeit currency. And, you know, okay. I, held, I held like a counterfeit $20 bill. Yeah. Um, and some of them were really bad. 
you know, you uh-huh. wouldn't even want to use them to play Monopoly. <laughs> uh, and some of them, wow. You know, yeah. and, and they said, we know what's floating around in the class right now. So we know what we will be getting back. <laughs> then they made it very clear. Nobody's going to pocket that $20 bill. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Same thing with credit cards. They showed us credit cards. Yeah. And the, the thing I liked about the secret service, uh, which is what I would eventually leave North Coventry township for was, um, it's not the same thing all day, every day for your entire career. Right. You know, for example, if you go to the FBI and you get put in bank robbery, you're doing bank robbery for your, you know, the next 25 years. Yeah. In the secret service, you're doing counterfeiting. And as soon as you get bored with that, you get a tap on your shoulder at your boss. He says, uh, go home, pack your bags. You're leaving with the president for the next two weeks. Wow. Well, you were in the Secret Service for 20 some years. 21 years, four months and two weeks. Not that I was counting. <laughs> now, is that retirement age or I, uh, did you leave for a, another reason? No. Um, uh, I loved what I do, what I did. Uh, if you ever see the movie In the Line of Fire, which obviously I've seen 900 times, <laughs> is the Clint Eastwood movie about the Secret Service. Okay. Dylan McDermott uh, is in a scene with him in the beginning of the movie, and Dylan almost loses his, his character's life. And so he's all shaken up, and they're at a bar having a drink, and Clint Eastwood's playing a piano. And Dylan says, you know, I joined the Secret Service because I wanted to protect people. And Clint Eastwood's line is, the idea of throwing yourself in front of a gun, hoping like hell the bullet hits you instead of the person you're protecting, you find that appealing? <laughs> uh-huh. And I always laugh and say yes. No kidding. It takes a different person to be able to do that. Uh, we did a drill at a security seminar before I was ever in the Secret Service. The instructor said, here's what's going to happen in a shooting. And he pulled a gun and started popping off rounds, which were, you know, for safety and legal reasons, obviously blank. But when everybody tried to get out. I understand. Yeah. You didn't care about me. You pushed me to the ground and, and got out of the room. Yeah. That is a perfectly normal reaction. Mm-hmm. Where me helping you out first Mm-hmm. you know, take something that's a little different. And in addition to the intense training that we did to do that, uh, it, it's a different type of person. So how did you get there, do you think, to be a different kind of person? Uh, Some um, self-analysis here? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 nature, nurture, uh, you know, part of it is just who I am. Okay. Uh, and, and, and part of it is, well, their intense training. Um, I interviewed with the Secret Service back in college. Uh, it, it was, in fact, the agent was an alumni of Penn State. And it wasn't necessarily a job interview so much as it was them creating a file on future applicants. Okay. And I said, you know, should I spend my time going to like... There were bodyguard schools similar to umpire school. Okay. uh, Where I could just pay the tuition and go as a student. 
And he said, you can, you don't have to, we will teach you what you want, what we want you to know. And, and, uh, okay. And for six months, that's, that's what we learned. Um, we go to two academies to be a secret service agent. The first one is like college. It's basic criminal investigator stuff, how to conduct a surveillance, how to conduct an investigation, how to shoot a gun, how to drive a car. Yeah. The second one is like grad school. It's secret service specific stuff, counterfeiting, fraud, protection, Mm -hmm. how to shoot a fully automated uh, submachine gun, how to shoot a rifle, how to shoot uh, or how to drive an armored car, which is very different from driving a regular car uh, because it's so much heavier. Uh, I mean, it's literally a tank. Uh, that's the specific stuff that we learned to be a secret service agent. And between the two, that's going to be about six or seven months of your life. That's pretty amazing. And what I guess is intriguing to me is, you know, what is it inside that takes somebody like yourself wanting to do that? Um. I'm from a partial military family. Uh, both my grandfathers, actually all three of my grandfathers, uh, I have a step-grandfather as well. Um, all three of my grandfathers were in World War II. Dad served domestically during Vietnam. Okay. So uh, I am at least on some level keeping a family tradition going of uh, serving my country. Uh, it may not be military, but, um, you know, it's still, I miss just as many Christmases as some active duty people. <laughs> right. Um, For sure. Yeah. Now you have, as part of the secret service, you had in the notes that you sent me your first day as a duty agent, mm-hmm. was, you have on Tuesday, September 11, 2001. Yep. So the, the duty week, I don't know why this, uh, was the way it was but when you had the week assignment at least at that time in the philadelphia field office uh your week started on tuesday morning okay and um there, there's two of you you know the the philly was a nine to five office unlike some of the even larger of larger offices that are 24 hours philly was only nine to five but the duty desk the reception area was 7A to like 9 or 10P. So that was covered by two agents, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. I was the afternoon agent, um, and my colleague was opening the office at 7 in the morning. It was around 8, 8.30. Uh, I was driving to a meeting Wow. Uh, in at the Exeter Township Police Department mm-hmm. when a girl I was seeing at the time uh, called and said an airplane just hit the World Trade Center. And when she said airplane, I figured, you know, like a Cessna, you know, right. single engine, right, you know, right, right, four right. seater. Right, and right, right. She said, well, they just showed a replay of it. There was something hanging from the wing. I said, that was the engine. And I thought, wait a minute. 
what do you mean they showed a replay of it? Right. And she said, well, they just had a really perfect view of, and then she stopped. Wow. And she realized it was a second plane. And so, you know, I turned my lights on on the car that I had. My, as a Secret Service agent, you get issued an unmarked police car. Right, right, right. And so I turned my lights on and, and expedited my trip to Exeter. Right. Where they were waiting for me because they knew what I knew. And that is that the World Trade Center in D.C. was the location of our New York field office. And, you know, I could have possibly already lost some classmates and right. coworkers. Right, right, right. Um, as it turns out, we lost one employee in the attack at the um, World Trade Center mm-hmm. who was, he was not a special agent. He's what's called a special officer. They're support staff type things. Yep. Uh, uh, he was also a medic. Uh, Craig uh, was Craig Miller was also a medic and uh, we suspect he actually went back in to help rescue people because we know that he didn't make it out right after that and other historic moments I mean you indicated that you were there for Hillary Clinton's health care announcement Right. You were beside Hillary on Saturday Night Live. Yes. <laughs> to yep. the left, as I recall. Yep, yep. And uh, accompanied Barack Obama. And were, what, with the White House detail some, somewhere firing Gary Busey? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't uh, sound right. <laughs> no, so... Um, I was never, my protection time um, was with the Clintons. I see. After they, after he was already out of office. I was with Hillary when she ran the first time against Barack Obama. And that's how I got to Saturday Night Live. And Um, you have mentioned that you are still Hillary Clinton's favorite Secret Service agent. Oh, yeah. She knows (laughs) me. I I just spoke with their, kind of like their butler slash manager. Okay. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, he uh, he and I have re- remained friends. Um, but the Gary Busey thing <laughs> was at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Right. Okay. I was a part of the Washington field office at that time. And what happens is any time there's a presidential visit, the local field office helps with the advance. Gotcha. And I was doing the threat analysis, what's called protective intelligence. Okay. So I did name checks, you know, the people that are going to serve the president's table. We had to make sure they're not assassins. Yeah. Uh, we watch the, you know, all the crazy groups that are in town. You know, we make sure they behave themselves, that kind of thing. And then at a certain point, you have, you know, other responsibilities, but also certain free roam of the place. Mm-hmm. So during the event, my partner was an agent by the name of Luis Enriquez. And Lewis and I are standing in the back of the you know, main ballroom at the correspondence dinner when Barack Obama is giving his you know, speech and, and, and his presentation and, and whatever. And he picks on a little bit. He did it every year. But um, this year he talked about being on The Apprentice 
yeah, uh, Celebrity Apprentice, and you know, firing Gary Busey, mm-hmm. and then he just kind of pauses, you know, waves his hand a little bit, and says, "Because these are the things I worry about as president." <laughs> and my partner Lewis and I turned and looked at each other, and both simultaneously pointed to the podium and said, there was a message in that statement. And this is before Donald Trump made any mention of running for president. Yeah. That was Saturday night. Um, I got to do the uh, Saturday, April 29th. Monday, May 1st. President Obama comes on TV and makes the announcement, we got Osama bin Laden. Wow. And I immediately called Lewis, who picks up the phone and says, Yurgs, that's the message. (laughs) Wow. And we kind of sat and backtracked a little bit. You know, we're in D.C. We now know they were in Pakistan. Yeah, you, know, you know, the team and what have you. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, the team came from, I think it was, uh, I think they were actually stationed in um, Afghanistan, which is actually a little further east. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't hold me to that part. But clearly they were halfway around the world. Right. Or needed to get there. And so we just kind of made the best uh, estimation of time as to here's the intelligence we have. Do you want to try it? Um, okay. Thank you, Mr. President. You know, we'll get to work. They need to practice. They need to drill. They need to you know, right. review the entire plan. They're not just going to jump in the car and go. Right. <laughs> and that took time. So based on what we could figure out, our estimation was sometime Saturday night, before or after the White House Correspondents' Dinner and subsequently before or after joking about firing Gary Busey would have been when the president would have given some level of okay to move forward with the plan to get Osama bin Laden. Right, right, right. So you finished your Secret Service career and are now looking to looking to journalism in terms of your website in terms of your podcast it must be what i mean how do you move from all that uh what do you say all that i i want to say excitement all that adrenaline huh. <laughs> yeah you're now in florida Correct. And you are establishing yourself as a political commentator. Is that right? Correct. But it wasn't so, all without. Um, I, I wasn't pushed out. Okay. Um, but I wasn't. I wasn't utilized to the best of my ability either. And can uh, you tell me why? Yeah, I think part of it was I was outed um, around 2010 or so, 20, 2009, 2010. Um, actually a little bit before that, the first time was in San Francisco, uh, uh, my second office, which was 2003 to 2007. 
Uh, I'm gay. And uh, the Secret Service is not. Um, There are gay agents, but they kind of do the the political stuff that I learned about in minor league baseball a little better than I do. Don't ask, don't tell. Uh, That that was part of it. And I think that's actually a brilliant policy uh, for the time. Um, a, A judge once told me, when both sides leave my courtroom pissed off, I know I made the right decision. Right. And I've watched veterans speak badly. Uh, I'll try to use better language than what I sometimes do, but um, speak badly to Bill Clinton about letting gays in the military. Okay. And I've watched gays do the same thing about him, you know, making them serve quietly. Right. And I'm like, that was his genius, was that he could tell that at that time during his administration, we were not ready for open service. We were not ready for gay marriage as a country. He was, uh, he's met boyfriends of mine as is Hillary, but that doesn't mean that, you know, George W would have had the same reaction. Exactly. And the people that support each. Exactly. That must uh, have been a very tough time for you. I was investigated three times for alleged misconduct that essentially never happened as a way to get me possibly, you know, if they can find, or if, if I would have given in and admitted essentially to something I didn't do or, or to, um, you know, just be forced out like the embarrassment. Right. Um, I'm not embarrassed by the fact that this is who I am. Have you always known that? Yeah. I mean, mom, as a kid, read to me Cinderella, and I wanted to be Prince Charming. You know, not because he got Cinderella as a date, but because he was a good-looking guy. Gotcha. And that's as a child. Your family has been very supportive? Yes. Um, I, I... there's from from all aspects um there there's you know something new to it at least at first but uh you know it's not like i'm hitting on them and and making them unnecessarily uncomfortable or anything like that because as you say i mean you you come from a military family you come from sports or you know uh activities you come from very macho kind of Oh yeah, culture, and to feel as confident as you are in who you are is really something. Where do you? Wh- where does that come from? You think? Well, um, it, it comes from it comes from getting outside of Boyertown. Aha! Um, really, I mean that that's kind of uh, bad against Boyertown, but I'll. I can explain that. Um, Go for it. Seeing the rest of the world uh, and seeing how far ahead in sociology or social sciences in general the rest of the world is, is eye-opening. And so going to hockey school, going to umpire school, going away to college, things of that nature, you know, exposed me to life outside of our small town. When I was in the San Francisco field office, 
I was on an undercover assignment for a year. You've probably heard in the news how the CIA monitors terrorist chat online uh-huh. and they can help predict a terrorist event. We did the same thing for fraud. So I was online you know, talking to bad guys and stealing credit card information and turning that information over to the banks. Mm-hmm. Um, as part of my online behavior, I would also talk with, you know, just other people. Okay. And I met this Dutch Marine from the Netherlands, from, uh, um, uh, I guess, Brussels or Netherlands, somewhere in Europe, uh, who was part of their special forces, who was part of a six-man team, as most of those teams are, six men. Four of the six on his team were gay, openly gay. They all knew it, no problems. Yep. Two of those four were actually a couple. Okay. All six had at one time or another played around together. Gotcha. So even the straight guys, if you can do the math, yep. were involved sexually with each other on that six-man team. And they had no issues with it. Today, being able to serve in the military openly is a step forward in that the majority of the service members that are polled just want to know that their colleague can do their assigned assigned job. Exactly. And that's the steps forward that we are able to take. Um, So I, I think, you know, getting out of having been taught that you know, uh, what, and it's not that I think now knowing that they accept me, uh, that it, that my parents taught me that a marriage is between a man and a woman right? because of political or religious beliefs. It's just, that's what they did. Yep. And they had zero to no exposure to the gay community. Right. Right. Uh, I've since learned within the past two months, my cousin's daughter is also gay. And so it's in the family. Yep. Yep. For sure. And so it's just, it, it was just part of just having the strength to be who I am. Uh, in the Secret Service, part of our background investigation is a polygraph interview, uh, a lie detector. Uh huh. And they can't, at that time, uh, early 2000s, um, were not, no longer permitted to ask if you were gay or, you know, had inappropriate sex with you know the same right. sex partner or anything like that because it's not really legally and it's, it's it was now protected mm-hmm. but they could ask if there was anything that i was ashamed of kind of wow. like a last ditch effort to weed out right. the gays like right. like right. i'm still harboring right. some sort of feeling like that like right. you know i wasn't ashamed of it you know i so wasn't how- ashamed of what i had done like that because you know it's a normal, you know, it's, it's who you are for, for, yeah, it's who you are. I mean, it's who you are. You, how are you feeling today as a result of the Supreme court decision last week? Uh, Maybe you'll talk about that on your political channel. Oh, we do. <laughs> Don't you worry. Um, I'm sure, but that... I've already had some other episodes that I dropped 
So okay. I haven't done that yet. But, okay, so um, tell us where we will find these while we're on the topic. Oh, anywhere you want to be. Um, the easiest place will soon be yergs.com, Y-E-R-G-Z.com. And your uh, political channel is called Up the Middle. Correct. Yes, uh, that can be found on, on that will be able to be found on the website, but also that's the title of the YouTube channel. Right. Uh, and any Spotify, Apple, iHeart, we're on yep. like literally a dozen different directories right now. I understand. And now let me go. Go, go ahead. ahead. Oh well, that's okay. Uh, I was just going to say that really all you really need to do is search Yergs Y E R G Z and or up the middle. Yeah. And, and there's we'll a nice it. big red, white, and blue flag with my headshot, and uh, the, and there's a flag. The, uh, no, the 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 um, the 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 logo, the what's called the the, the podcast cover, the square photo, mm-hmm. does not have the pride flag on that. Okay. Uh, some of my episodes have President Biden's backdrop. Uh, it's the White House with the two American flags that caused. Uh, controversy that are at the same level as the pride flag in the middle. Gotcha. And there are a bunch of military people saying that's disgraceful. It's, it's not appropriate. It's not the same. And well, for military, there are certain qualifications on how to display a flag. Right. The white house is not a military installation. Right. The white right. house is owned by the department of the interior. Well, it's funny how so many things get confused these days, like religion in politics. Yeah. That whole thing. And I'm sure on your channels, and I am really eager, you know, to listen (laughs) to more of what you've got to say on these channels, but I'm sure that there will be much discussion about some of this. And I, like I say, I encourage my listeners to follow you on uh, Up the Middle and Yerks.com. Now, before we leave this, you know, this kind of discussion about what you left behind in Boyertown gladly, is there anything you took with you that you are happy about or that you'd want to regain from your growing up in this area? The, the small town life. Um, I'm in a small town outside of Tampa right now. Okay. Um, it's an amazing area. We're coming up on high tide right now. I'm looking out my back window. Um, I'm in a neighborhood where I'm on a dead end street uh, that's in my front yard and a dead end canal that leads to the Gulf of Mexico in my backyard. Oh, beautiful. And looking at an outdoor kitchen I mean, with a grill and a nice sink and a bar. Uh, two jet skis sitting on a ramp nice. that I might be able to get out onto today. Um, and, you know, it's, I'm a little far outside of Tampa for it to be able to afford something modest, but nice like this. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can share, you know, when I purchased this, it was 450,000, this same type of house, three beds, two baths on a, on the water down on St. Pete beach is 1.8 million nice um in marina del rey in los angeles the last office i served in for the secret service it's 3.2 million wow and for less than a half a million i'm gonna go riding on a jet ski (laughs) that's really great and we're very happy for you and happy for all the service that you have offered our country i mean i think 
Yurts, we could go on for another hour or so. But let um, me know if you need to schedule it. I think we need to do a part <laughs> two at some point. But I'm also hoping you follow through with an idea you had in one of our email exchanges. And that is a, something called um, that you call the inspirational series. Yes. And I hope that you will do some writing also for us for the Boyertown area expression that Leslie like that. and I put together. That would be so cool. So let me just encourage you before I lose you today to, you know, to perhaps do that. What you have said is you have a photo of a celebrity and a quote from that person and then a reflection right. perhaps about what that quote means to you. And there are so many inspirational quotes that you have sent to me that I'm going to include in an article from Excellent. Expression that I do as a result of this podcast episode. But we will look forward to some of your writing, hopefully, in the Boyertown area expression. Likewise. And Ever since uh, I saw you on Gary Williams' show <laughs> and we reconnected that way, I had been following the expression and enjoy you know, keeping up with. Excellent. Uh, and your podcast, I love how there's so many everyday people I know that I'm really are actual inspiration so I'm happy to be a part of this and I'm happy to include you thank you in this and I wish you all the best and we probably will have to do a part two sometime soon gladly okay? happy to do it definitely thank you so much for being part of the be inspired podcast today thank you Jane bye now bye now Thank you for downloading this episode of the Be Inspired Podcast. If you enjoyed the Be Inspired Podcast, please subscribe to be notified of new episodes. This podcast can be found on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Anchor, Spotify, or wherever it is you listen to podcasts. And we welcome you to suggest people, projects, and perceptions that inspire you, what the world needs now is inspiration. Contact me, Jane Stahl, at studiobbb.org or stop by Studio B. More information can be found in the episode notes. We are eager to meet you and learn what it is you love. This is the end of today's episode, and I hope you find your way today to be inspired.